Sun Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas, so you can fit your dental care into your working day. Uh, Love Tech are a group of Isle of Man-based female leaders and technologists who say they have very big dreams. They want to live in a world in which women and men have truly equal opportunities, representation and recognition in careers in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM as it's become known. Claire Milne of, App- Milne of Appleby and Roberta Castle of Continent 8 started this group. There are now 15 women in the organising committee with a growing number of volunteers. I'm delighted to say we are joined by three of them this afternoon. Their first big fundraising event of 2019 is rapidly approaching, but let's meet the three women that are in the studio. Lydia Barbara is not a stranger to the show. You've been with us a few times by now, uh, Lydia. Just give us a little bit of, it, of your background and tell us why you wanted to become involved with Love Tech. Great, thank you. Um, so yeah, I have been on the show a couple of times. Um, I work for Microgaming and also the Department for Enterprise. Um, I look after innovation strategy for Microgaming. And I've been involved in gaming almost 16 years now. And when someone first came to me and said, we're starting this thing called Love Tech, and this is what it does, I got so excited because for so much of my career, I've been the only woman in the room. And you know that when you're not in the room, then there are no women in the room. And that, that that's never made a lot of sense to me, especially when the target demographic is about 50% female. If you're building something for someone, then surely the people making the, de- the decisions should be from that group. So I was really excited to take part um, as one of the 15 women in Love Tech in organizing these events for girls on the island. Jade, sort of give us a little bit of your background then and how you came to be involved with Love Tech. So I actually moved to the Isle of Man from South Africa about six years ago. And um, like Lydia, I worked uh, in an organisation. I was involved in, in digital marketing there where I was inspired by working with a female developer, but those were few and far between. Um, and also being involved in the gaming industry um, just recognised that there wasn't really an equal representation. I work at um, SMP Partners and it's great. We have a really unique um, group of people there, great to work with, really good representation. But I was just inspired by the fact that we could encourage girls to to pursue broader careers, to let them know that actually there are equal opportunities and that if they wish to, they are perfectly capable of changing the world. The Nation Station, Manx So let's meet our studio guest. She was 68 when she got a degree in performing arts and she had always wanted to be an actor from an early age. A couple of years later, she decided she wanted to learn to be a barber. So she found a course in London where she could train. Now, sadly, for family reasons, she wasn't able to finish that training. But there is no doubt that when Millie Blackensop French puts her mind to something, there is no stopping her. And when she discovered she was seriously ill, this steely determination certainly swung into action once more. I know a lot of people may have seen the article that that you wrote when you were going through uh, your treatment, uh, Millie, about the Right to Die campaign that you were promoting. And I think it's fair to say that in your time you have been something of an activist for various campaigns, haven't you? And you were just telling us off air about uh, an encounter with Prince Andrew. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, a good few years ago, uh, I think it was before I came to the island, uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, the, uh, the council there, along with 14 other councils in England, had decided in their wisdom that they would include the uh, war pensioners' pensions when they were uh, working out their benefits. And I went, no way, no way. My Uncle Tommy and my Uncle Billy were on the front line to give us the freedom we've got today, and they wanted to take their pensions into consideration when they're working out their benefits. No, no, this is not right. Well, I knew a lot of other people were, were campaigning, the British Legion and everybody, but, you know, me being me. Um, 
I suddenly decided I've got to do my little bit. So I, I, I wrote out this this letter to the Queen and I heard Prince Andrew was coming to Tyneside. Anyway, I took several copies of this letter uh, to hand out to the crowd to let them know what I was up to. And uh, gets down to the quayside and there's cry oh the crowds I thought I'm never going to get any other railings to give this to him so I thought what can I do so I looked very professional I'd went all dressed in my suit and everything and uh, I put them in my arm and I said excuse me excuse me excuse me I have to get through I have some very important papers I must get to the barrier could you just move please could you just move anyway I got to the barrier and Prince Andrew was way down on the right, and I'm shouting, Prince Andrew, Prince Andrew, your, ma- your Majesty, your Highness, your Highness, Prince Andrew, I really must talk to you. And I'm screeching to the point where I can hardly speak. And uh, the Chelsea War Pensioners were looking at me as if I, <laughs> you know, I'd lost my marbles. And uh, I thought, well, if he doesn't come up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump this barrier now. Well, I was just about <laughs> to jump the barrier when he comes walking up with his aides and that, and he said, Yes, my dear. Is is there something? Is something the matter? And I said, "Could you give this to your mother? Could you give this to your mother?" I said, "This is terrible. Newcastle Council wanting to take the, the war pensioners' pensions into consideration when they're working out their benefits." I said, "It can't happen. It just can't happen." I said, "You know, we've got to give it to somebody who can, who can help." So he read the letter and he said, "Thank you very much." It was very calm. <laughs> I was like a raven lunatic, of course. And, I can imagine uh, after that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he, he he read it and everything. He said, "Well, thank you for giving me this." He said, "He said personally, I don't think we'll be able to do anything about it, or my mother." He said, "But me maybe can pass it on to somebody who could." Thank you very much. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Chloe Sloan and Fanola Martin are students at Castle Russian High School and they are taking part in an inter-school competition which has been organised by the One World Centre and they're both uh, skipping school this afternoon but completely authorised, we should say, uh, to be here and tell us a little bit about it. Um, Chloe, what is this competition all about, first of all? Um, So every school puts forward a couple of teams and they have uh, in-school finals so that then when it comes to March... There's one team from every school goes up to Ramsey and we do a multimedia presentation, 10 to 12 minutes on the charity that we're representing. We've all been assigned one. Um, We talk about how over the past couple of months we've been raising awareness for this charity, how we've been fundraising our contacts with the charity because we have to be in close contact and be talking to them, keeping them updated on what we're doing. And if we happen to win or come second, we win a large sum of money for our chosen charity. Um, okay, Fanola, tell us who your charity is then. Okay, so our charity is Do, which is developing orphans, and they work in Uganda, basically. Um, well, helping. They do orphans. incredible work, don't they? I understand at the moment they work with 63 child-led families, which are made up of 193 orphans left destitute by war. Was this a charity that you'd heard of before? Well, we hadn't heard of it until One World Charity Challenge came and spoke to us. And then we had a charities day. So we went up um, in Stoglis and they had basically a room with all the charities and some representatives. And we got to go and question them about their charities. And then we picked we picked Do because we like really liked the work that they did. And Chloe, it's really interesting, isn't it, thinking about almost parallel lives, isn't it? These young people who are just in completely different circumstances. Yeah, it certainly is. I think for us, it's just made us value our education so much more because part of the work do is doing, it's um, giving uh, education to the children, but then to 
the leaders of their family it's giving them basic functional skills so they can go out they can get jobs it's teaching the women to sew and um, they get involved in construction because it pr- um, promotes sustainable development instead of just emergency aid so in st- it's like the quote you can teach a man you can give a man a fish or you can teach a man to fish they're teaching them to fish it's helping the communities socially and economically so that in the long run they'll be sustainable and they will be able to continue the work when do leaves the area. It sounds like you've really sort of invested in this quite <laughs> passionately by the sound of things. Had either of you done any sort of fundraising or any charity work before this? Mm, I've done like little bits, but I participated in just an inter-school charity challenge when I was in year nine, so when I was about 13, and we did it for the Manx Blind Welfare, but that was just an in-school competition Um, It wasn't quite on such a large scale as this. And you must be learning so much from this experience. Yeah, like today um, we did a global citizen... We had a global citizenship talk with a representative from One World Charity... Well, One World Centre, and that was, like, really educational as well. It's all, like, piecing together. It's really good. And as you mentioned, part of um, this whole process is raising awareness about the charity and also money for it. So what sort of things have you been doing so far? Um, so we have, we're doing a concert next Wednesday. We've been selling tickets for that. It's Wednesday the 16th of January at Castle Russian High School. Um, we, so we've gone out into our local communities publicising the event. If you go around Port St Mary and Port Aaron, there's posters everywhere. <laughs> we've got in contact with um, the local church groups to see if they'd like to bring their youth groups to the concert. It's just getting the local community behind us as well as just our school community. And what sort of things are going to be happening at the concert? Um, so at the concert, we've got our school senior band, our school senior choir. Um, we have a local Manx band, uh, Bisky Brisk which are very popular on the island. We've got some very talented soloists from our sixth form, Owen Williams, Ali Waters, Heather Parsons, all of whom will be performing at the event. And this is open to anybody who would like to go along? It is absolutely anybody. You can email wedocharitycrhs at gmail.com. You can ring the school, or even if you just turn up on the nights, we'll be selling tickets on the doors. Um, It's at 7.30, Castle Russian High School, next Wednesday. So it sounds like this isn't just learning about the charity and it's not just raising money you're both learning all kinds of skills outside of that aren't you because you're putting concerts on as you said you're getting out into the community what what other things have you learned because you're because you, you've had to promote haven't you so you've been learning about we advertising have. and yeah. had you done anything like that previously and have the school sort of supported you in that and helped you with that yeah, yeah they've been really helpful um, one of our teachers, Miss Metcalf, she's literally just guiding us through it all. She's really handy. She's so helpful. She's so she's helpful. always <laughs> available. Obviously, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be sort of getting as involved in it if she wasn't so enthusiastic about it. So yeah. we have got a lot to thank in her there. Yeah. But also things like for the event, we've created a Facebook page. We'd never done that before. It's learning how to get in contact with the local mm-hmm. community. We've emailed local businesses saying, "Can you share our event? Can you publicise our event?" So then it goes on to learning how to properly compose an email, properly learning how to speak to people. It's really taught us a lot. Let's meet Rona Halsall, who describes herself as an outdoorsy person who loves nothing more than stomping up a mountain and walking the coastal paths. And it was actually, Rona, I believe, one of these walks which inspired your latest book, was it? Yes, right. Yes. South Barule. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was walking with the dogs and my husband, who's my sounding board. 
So um, I'll be saying, we'll be walking along and I'll be saying to him, what about this for a plot then? And then I'll go off on a story. I'll sort of make it up as I go along. And I'll go, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. And these are psychological thrillers that you describe them as, which it seems like this genre has become so popular among women now. Yeah, and it's mainly women authors as well. Why do you think that is? I think it's just women are more in tune with psychology. You know, I think just women are naturally more perceptive about emotions and those sorts of situations and they like reading about that sort of thing. I think it's a progression from women's fiction, you know, which is all about families and family dramas. And I think the psychological thriller is just a step onto the dark side, if you like. <laughs> That's just going to say, because there is that sort of dark element and it must be yeah. quite liberating to be able to sort of release that side kill of kill people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, what sort of emotions then are you wanting to, to generate in your readers? Well, every every emotion. I mean, that really, when if you think about the books you've thoroughly enjoyed, you enjoy them because they spark an emotional response in you, whether that's fear or excitement or oh my God, did that really happen? Uh, Or tears, you know, um, when I'm writing, you know, if a scene's making me cry, I'm thinking, yeah, I've got that. Or, but if it's not doing anything to me, I'm thinking, no, I haven't quite got this right yet. So I think the enjoyment of a book is is the emotional journey it takes you on. And do you ever sort of base your characters on anyone? I mean, I know certainly in, in Love You Gone, one of them's quite a, a dark character in themselves, but uh, do they ever get based on anyone or are they completely no. from fiction? They just create themselves, really. But I th- I think probably... I was speaking to my dad the other day, who's <laughs> quite a harsh critic, and he's, he's reading them. And... Uh, I said to him, oh, he said, I read your second one. I said, did you like it? He said, no. <laughs> he says, I don't know what's going on in that head of yours. He says, but I recognise bits of you in it. You know, there's there's things that come out in there from your experiences and you don't you don't even realise that that's what's happening. And it has, it's been likened, hasn't it, to that huge hit Gone Girl. So yes. I, mean, it, it, I can see why, because it's got all the sort of timeline sort of twists and turns. And yes. Are you happy with that sort of comparison? Well, I'm flattered because I thought Gone Girl was a fabulous book. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, I was very, very happy with that. And I think from a reader's point of view, there's so many books out there. It really helps a reader to narrow down their choices if they're thinking, oh, I really enjoyed Gone Girl. Oh, this one's going to be like Gone Girl, so I'm, I'm more likely to enjoy it. So I, I think that's why they market it like that, just to help a reader choose books that they're more likely to like. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. I know there was great disappointment on the 2nd of February 1947 when I wasn't a girl. <laughs> uh, they, I think they were going to throw me back, but uh, they couldn't do that. But uh, Or just put a frock on you, yeah, one or the other. So yeah. Roy could have been Roseanne, but uh, fortunately for me... Uh, we've gone through our life uh, unchanged as a thoroughbred male. 
Oh, that's absolutely brilliant, Roy. Unmistakably, uh, as you may well have guessed, that is the voice of, of, of one Roy Moore. Uh, not just one of the best love commentators on the mountain course, as he was just saying, but of course, former Ireland golf champion as well and golf historian too. Now a video star as well with his Mountain Memory series online. I think that song, that Buggles song, the uh, video killed the radio star, is, isn't really appropriate in this, this uh, kind of instance here because people are loving watching you, Roy, in that series. They're really enjoying it. I wonder what it feels like now that people can actually put a face to that voice. It's quite interesting, actually, on one or two of the early comments. And uh, I don't know whether we haven't got a fan club as such. I think there's a people, oh, you do, Roy. people out there <laughs> that that they think they know you. And uh, it's been like it's like life in it. You know, when you see a face that you associate with a voice, you're either pleasantly surprised or totally disappointed. <laughs> And uh, there was one woman in particular that was on a uh, comment. She said, oh, no, no, don't show his face. I've built up an image of what he looks like, and he doesn't look anything like he looks, <laughs> which is a typical Manx statement, like, isn't it? But, uh, it is, isn't it? I, I think I had someone say to me once, you're taller than I thought you were. Yeah. How on earth can he gauge someone? <laughs> but did you, as a kid then, did you used to spend lots of hours sort of sitting around the wireless and listening to, to, to voices? You had to. Uh, it was c- compulsory. Bone and Park Avenue, which is like two or three hundred yards from the start finish, born into a family where I had those two brothers. One, Ken, was just starting to become uh, involved in cycling. But then we had other family. My mother and uh, Auntie Jessie, as we knew her, uh, were from a second marriage. And uh, certainly there was a close connection between Uncle Jack, Jack Cannell, and of course, everybody on the island will remember Jeff, Jeff Cannell. So they, he was a bit older than me as well, but despite the fact that I was of male origin and not female, I was dragged everywhere with Uncle Jack and Jeff. So early morning practices across the road at Park Avenue, and certainly up round the pits and in round the grandstand, Uncle Jack got you everywhere you shouldn't have been really, but at the same time, uh, it brought into my mind so many memories and there's one in particular of an early early morning practice it would be either 52 or 53 and we were only reflecting on it the other day about uh, Jeff Duke and Reg Armstrong on four cylinder Jaleeras and they didn't have the open megaphones you know the, the, the convex on the back of the bike these were straight through pipes and either Jeff Duke was showing Reg Armstrong round and I was there handcuffed well not handcuffed but I was in the hands of Uncle Jack and Jeff would be usually sniffing around getting autographs pinching oil or whatever the case may be and Jeff Duke and Reg Armstrong went through the start finish and if I close my eyes now I can picture that sound it seems daft to say you picture a sound but the howl of eight cylinders of Italian Jaleera of the two of them going through and Uncle Jack remarking uh, they're showing one another round. Uh, that that just stays with me. But it was so easy, you know. You, you got you look at loads of castrol flags. You got all the books that were there, and certainly it didn't do me any harm as regarding memory, because you can, on occasion, and it has been reflected in the mountain memories, uh, just delve into that memory and uh, bring something up which will pass the time. And I think genuinely people find it quite interesting. 
Well, it's wonderful hearing these memories, Roy, but one of the things we're also doing today is sharing some of your music choices. So uh, let's get your first record on. What are we going to hear first and why? It was difficult, it's difficult to say in it when, you, when you've got a reasonable bank account now, but in the early days of life, it was tough going. Uh, there was no kind of... Uh, you had to work for everything you got. And my mother... Uh, me two brothers were they they left home well i thought they'd left home they'd gone on this thing called national service and i didn't see them for ages and she took a job when ken came back he was a, an absolute top of the range electrician uh, served as apprenticeship but there was no work and he had to go down to peel but he never drove so he went to peel and didn't come back and uh, certainly he got a, a, a down there. There was the snack bar, or the on the on the main kind of drag through the promenade, and the souvenir shop. And he was working in there. But my mother, to make ends meet, had to go down, so she had to bring me with her. And there was a jukebox in there, and Metal Hughes and my sister-in-law Betty Betty Kinley, down at Peel there had a, a magic system. If, if you went round the back of it and pressed a couple of buttons, you'd get a few records on for free. And uh, Dream Lover by Bobby Darren was, was one that I... And Diana by Paul Anker. But I think uh, Bobby Darren's Dream Lover has got more kind of... Uh, yeah, it was classic record. And it'll always remind me of 1959. And meeting Eddie LaBelle, who arrived to ride in the TT on his BMW and had the first, what I called, American-style crash hat. And uh, that was it. So Peel, the snack bar, 59, Bobby Darren, Dream Lover. Come my way, girl to hold in my arms and know the magic of her charms. Cause I want a girl to call my own. I want a dream lover so I don't have to dream alone. So she's only um, just about three months now, but if uh, little Connie comes up to you in a few years and says, Dad, I want to get on a motorbike and go round there like you did. What would you say? I'd say we're moving. <laughs> yeah, we're emigrating somewhere. <laughs> uh, she, nah, I'll never stand in the way of what she wants to do. Uh, you know, my parents were, were had the same take on it as uh, as what I've just said there. So I'm never going to stand in the way of anyone, particularly my own uh, my own daughter. To yeah, I might have to draw a line at motorbikes, but I'll uh, maybe I'll go as far as a pony or something like that. <laughs> So when you were a nipper then, yeah. li- little Connor, uh, what were you like? Were you always sort of determined and competitive? Did you always want to, to get this far in racing? Well, as a as a nipper, um, I've never been little, I'll be really honest with you on that <laughs> one. Um, I Obviously, I was born in TT Week. Um, my dad, he still races. He was racing when I was, when I was born. Uh, I was born into motorbike racing. You know, I didn't really think I'd end up doing the TT. I was a huge... I've, I've always been a huge fan of the TT. You know, lived a stone's throw from the circuit. Um, but I, I suppose as a kid, I was always like, oh, yeah, I'd love to be, you know, Joe Dunlop or someone like that. Um, but never really thought it would be, you know, come to fruition that I'd actually end up doing it and doing it to a high level, really. Um, but, yeah, here we are. 
I'm 32 years of age. I've done the TT for the last 12 years, I think. Yeah, what an, what a life experience. Uh, the aim of this programme <laughs> is to find out more about people uh, through their music taste. Um, I'm going to say you've broken the rules a little bit here, Connor, because <laughs> um, we do ask for five tracks. You've thrown in a few extra, which yeah. we're going to try and squeeze in. The first one is a Johnny Cash number. Why have you chosen this? Well, Johnny Cash, I think he... Legend is a word that's overused, but this this guy is just uh, he, he is he is a legend. Like you know, he is his music is phenomenal. I don't think he was afraid of chucking the odd statement out there, and I just think his music is brilliant. Um, it gets me going. Um, if I'm driving in a van doing a delivery one day or whatever for for my business, chuck a Johnny Cash tune on there, and uh, yeah, what a, an absolute great. Hey, get rhythm When you get the blues Come on, get rhythm When you get the blues Get a rock and roll feeling in your bones But taps on your toes and get gone Get a rhythm When you get the blues A little shoeshine boy, he never gets slow down But he's got the dirtiest job in town Bending low at the people's feet On a windy corner of a dirty street Will I ask him while he shined my shoes How'd he keep from getting the blues He grinned as he raised his little head He popped his shoeshine rag and then he said Get rhythm When you get the blues Come on, get rhythm When you get the blues A jumpy rhythm makes you feel so fine It'll shake all your trouble from your worried mind Get a rhythm When you 